So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, is, uh, it should be, depending on how big your concordance is and those kind of things, it should be pretty much smack dab in the middle of your Bible. We're in week two of a five-week series that we're calling This Truth Changed My Life. And for the two messages that I'm doing, not surprisingly, I've preached on these before uh, in my 15 years here. And one reason I've chosen to come back to them is because I personally need to hear them again. And I believe that many of you, uh, from walking with you, for, from talking with you, it will be timely as well. Psalm 119 is both the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible. It's often, it's actually longer than some books of the Bible. And while it's the longest chapter, the longest psalm, it most definitely has one big overriding theme through all of it, and it's this, the Word of God and how the psalmist loves the Word. In a sense, when we read, when we read Psalm 119, we are reading a person's prayer to the Lord regarding his words to us. Throughout the chapter, the writer uses different words like law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, rules, word, ways, righteousness, judgment, all of those referring to the word of God in some way. Almost every verse in this chapter includes a reference to the word of the Lord. And so you might say that the Lord chose the longest chapter in the Bible to make sure we would not miss how important the Bible is to be to the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you a section of a book called Reading the Bible with Heart and Mind by Tremper Longman. He says this, it's a longer quote, so bear with me, but he says this, the Bible is not just like any other book. It uncovers our lives and exposes the inner core it's one of a number of self in, in a number of self-reflective comments. The Bible describes its life-changing force as a sword, Hebrews 4:12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The sword speaks of the Bible's cutting-edge ability to get under our skin. God uses the Bible to slice into us to pierce our lives for positive change. What does that mean to you? As you search the inner recesses of your life, where are the places of hurt that might benefit from a holy blade lancing long infected wounds? I love that picture. And what forces within you might be resisting such merciful, painful surgery? As children, we often don't like the foods we need for full growth and health and so it is with spiritual food. While on one level we desire change, on another we are afraid of the transformation that reading the Bible may bring about. Our task is to bring those fears before the book and its author. As anxious fawns approaching a quiet pond of water, wide-eyed, ears attentive, we can creep up to the waters of life. Come drink up my goodness into your soul says Jesus, for here in the word is where we take on the likeness of Christ, a transformation from death to life, from meaninglessness to real and lasting purpose, from sadness to joy. Come drink up my goodness into your soul. In verse 131, the, the writer compares longing for a drink to longing to hear and read God's commands. And yet we hear that, and many of us in this room think to ourselves, I don't long for the word like the psalmist is speaking of here. I don't pant for it as if I'm thirsty. I don't always hunger for it as if I've not eaten for days. 
And at times in my life, including as I've been in full-time vocational ministry, I haven't longed for the Word like the psalmist writes up here. I long for it to do ministry, to preach, and to counsel, and to prepare for ministry and mission. But the writer here in Psalm 119 is not talking about ministry. He's talking about just his simply worship of the Lord, longing for the goodness of the commands of God in order to simply follow him and grow in love toward him. And so from being a pastor and a friend among many of you for years, I know I'm not alone in that. It has less to do with full-time vocational ministry, but a, but a desire, I'm not alone in that wanting to grow in thirsting after the word and hungering after it. And we could talk about the practical side of things and that we need a consistent time and location of where we digest the word, that we need to ask a friend to hold us accountable, that we need to read with others and not simply read by ourselves, that we need a plan to read, that we need to write down things that the Lord is speaking to us through his word and interact with the word and underline and write things down in a journal. We could talk about getting a, a good access to a good Bible. And if you don't have a good study Bible, I have one to give away to you today. So see me afterwards. So all those practical things are good. But if we don't first deal with our hearts, then we will muscle our way through it and then return to our old patterns after some section of time. The Lord is continually going after our hearts and our affections because then and only then do our actions actually change. And He is pursuing to transform our hearts for one reason, because He loves us. And He longs for us to glorify Him and enjoy Him in relationship for all the days of our lives. Psalm 119 over and over deals not with the practical side of how to read the Bible, but instead deals with our desire to read the Bible. Because any sort of change that we desire that our lives would see, any sort of change begins not with the outward, but with the inward, with our hearts, our affections. Verse 16 says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So right there, we have these two opposing affections being referred to, delight and neglect. And these are two vastly different ideas. I can't delight in something and neglect in it at the same time. I can't neglect in something and then say with all honesty, oh, I'm delighting in that. I think for some of you, in a moment of honesty, you would say, yeah, right now I'm, I'm neglecting the word. The word neglect comes from a Hebrew word, which, which means to lay aside. It means to forget or to take for granted. So in a sense, the writer is saying, I will delight in your decrees. I will not lay aside your word. I will not forget your word. I will not take for granted your word. I will not neglect your word. And so my heart is that as a group of people this morning, that the Holy Spirit might move our hearts, turn our hearts more and more toward delight and turn our hearts from neglect. That even if we're in our Bibles on a consistent basis, that we grow in our delight of its words, that delight in that opportunity to meet with the Lord and commune with the Lord, that we would not settle simply for seeing our Bibles as an obligation or as a checklist. On the flip side, if we find ourselves in a pattern of neglect or laying it aside, that we'd move toward delight and toward enjoyment 
The Lord might do that work through his word in this chapter. Verse 18 says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. So in that verse, there are two big ideas. One is that there are wonderful things in the word of God. There are wonderful things to be found from Genesis to Revelation. That the word law there means instruction or teaching. There are wonderful things in God's teaching that reveals to us who he is and what he's done and who we are in him and what we've been called to do and believe and how to live. The second thing in verse 18 that we see is that we need God's help in order to see these wonderful things. If God doesn't open our eyes, we'll still be blind. The writer's praying, Lord, open my eyes. So one clear implication of that verse is that before and during and after we read the word, that we would be prayerful in the course of that, that prayerful saying, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Prayer and Bible go hand in hand. Our prayer life is to be anchored to the truth of God's word because then it anchors our prayer to the real living God. Tim Keller wrote this in his book called Prayer. He says, we know who we are praying to only if we first learn it in the Bible. We speak only to the degree that we are spoken to. Compared to a child learning to speak, they learn to speak by first being spoken to. And the same is true in our prayer life. We learn to pray. We learn about the nature and character of our God that we are praying to through, through the Scriptures. And our time of reading our Bibles must include prayer because we're reading and studying a book written by a living God who cares for His people, a speaking, communicating God. And so we say, Lord, open our eyes. I don't know if it's a, a genetic defect I don't know if I got a broken double helix or something. I don't know if it's because I'm a man or it happened when I walked down the aisle and I picked this up because I picked up the title husband. But my guess is it's a combination of all of that. But through our years of marriage, I can stand in front of a pantry or a cabinet, a closet, and be looking for something and not be able to find it. So raise your hand. Let, let, let me phrase this question correctly. If you're a man, raise your hand if you can relate. Yes, okay? Now, for the more fun one, if you are a woman who knows a man who can relate to this, <laughs> raise your hand. Yes, all right. little marriage counseling, little opportunity there. Um, so, my wife is a 5'5", five five, or 5'4 five and 3 quarters, if you want to be precise. And so, she will say, uh, hey, tall man, I need some help, and so this is why she keeps me around. Tall man, I'm 6'4", I can go find some things on the upper shelf. And so she says, hey, can you grab this from the pantry? Sure, honey, happy to serve, like Jesus, I'm just right there. And uh, so I go there, I open the door, and I'm thinking, take your time. It's there. There's like a 0.3% chance she's wrong. I mean, there's a chance. There is a chance, just like Dumb and Dumber. So you're saying there's a chance but it's a slight, slight chance. And so I just stand there looking, looking, okay? Early in our marriage, I gave up really quickly. And frankly, I wouldn't move a thing on a shelf, which is a really dumb move. I've learned. 26 years in, I'm learning, okay? 
So I actually have to move some things and just, just look. So early on, um, I'd be really, I, I, I've made progress in this. But what I've, my pride says, no, I'm going to stay there until I find this thing. I'm not going to ask for help because that's humbling. And I don't want to be humbled, all right? I just want to proudly say, got it, found it, in my own strength. This is what you and I do when we open our Bibles oftentimes. We fail to ask God for help. Because in our marriage, when I say, honey, okay, I give up, I can't, can't find it. Oh, there it is. <laughs> right? I found it right away. So in the Scriptures, when we open them up, we read something, and we move on. And prayer never really enters our thought process. In the time of reading our Bibles, we've created a, a to-do list and a thought of all the things we should be doing, but we haven't considered prayer. If we are to delight in the Word, if we are to see the wonderful things that it contains, we must pray. And we pray before, during, and after we read. Open my eyes. Don't let me miss what is before me. If something is staring at me right in the face, Lord, open my eyes. If there's something in my heart and life that needs to be moved out of the way so I can see clearly, Lord, open my eyes. We ask for His supernatural help to see the supernatural things in His Word. Because don't forget, loved ones, when we open our Bibles, a supernatural activity is taking place. I mean, there's a spiritual battle raging, whether it's our approach, our willingness to get into the Word, let alone as we're doing it, let alone as we're seeking to apply it. But our speaking and communicating God is victorious and greater, and so in the midst of that spiritual battle, we say, Lord, open my eyes. Paul wrote this sentence to the Ephesian church and chapter 1, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That sounds a lot like verse 18 in Psalm 119. Open my eyes, uh, open the eyes of my heart, enlighten the eyes of my heart that I might see wonderful things, that I might know the hope in Christ and the riches of knowing him as my Savior. How we approach reading and reflecting on his on, on this book is vastly different than how we approach reading anything else. And that's because this book is different than anything else. It doesn't hold a candle. I mean, the, the, the level that the Scriptures are on should not be in the same level that we are digesting blog posts or articles or, or books written by Christian authors or anything else. This, the Word of God is here. Everything else is subject to it. So in the time we have left, I want us to look at verses 33 through 40. My hope again is the Lord would open our eyes to the wonderful things that these eight verses speak to. And as we read, it, read them, that the Lord would move our hearts more and more toward delight. What we'll see here is the writer praying. And so if prayer and the word are linked, if they're married to one another, then how do we see him praying? What is he asking of God to do through the Bible. Verse 33, teach me, Lord, the way of your decree is that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I, I, I find delight. Turn my, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. 
Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread for your laws are good for I long for your, how I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. As I read those, I want to look at the first three together. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. He's praying, Lord, I follow you. I don't follow myself. I don't follow my heart. I don't follow culture. I follow you, Lord. And so if we claim Christ as Savior, that means we also claim him as Lord, as King of our lives. We are, so we are student, we are follower, we are disciple, and he is teacher who, who we follow. And through the word is how he teaches us as his followers, disciples, students. So teach me, Lord, give me understanding, direct me in the paths of your commands so that I may follow it to the end. Because Jesus, I don't want to just follow you for a season, but for my life. You gave up your life for me, so you have my entire life. This is the great commandment, to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, you have all of me, not part of me. And you have all of me for all the days of my life. While I still have breath, you have all of me. And then in eternity, we have all of the Lord unhindered by sin in any way in the presence of the Lord for eternity. So it's give me understanding so that I may obey your law with all my heart. Jesus called us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So as we read the word, our prayer is not to simply understand it. Our prayer moves beyond simply understanding, but also to application, to obey it, to apply it. By your grace, you give, you give me breath and life, so with all that is in me, I want to obey your word. I want to seek to live or align my life with it. And then I love the next verse because it reminds us that when we walk in the path of his commands, we find what? Drudgery, death, No, delight, delight, because his ways lead to freedom. His ways lead to rest. His ways lead to the breaking of chains of sin, the restoration of broken relationships, hope in the midst of suffering, peace in the midst of anxiety, delight. And then the next two verses I'd group together. He prays this, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to to your word. Your ways lead to delight. I want to follow till the end. I want to obey your word with all my heart, and yet I know I'm going to face temptation. I know my heart will be drawn to selfishness. I know my eyes will be drawn to the shiny things of this world, but in the end are worthless things. I know that even though I've been saved and made right before God, I have remaining sin in my heart, and the devil and my own sinful flesh And the patterns of this world will try to pull me away from the path that leads to delight. That I'm going to be tempted not to obey with all my heart. That I'm going to be tempted to take a sinful detour that leads me away from following you, Lord. So knowing all of that, turn my heart toward your statutes. And turn my eyes away from worthless things. 
I want to delight in you and not neglect and not, not neglect your word. And then the writer closes with affirming what he knows about God. He goes on in verses 38 and 39. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. Lord, you preserve my life according to your word because you're a promise-keeping God. You're not a man that you should lie, but you're faithful to your promises. Your love endures forever, over and over and over. And knowing you are faithful, knowing you're always true, knowing that your love endures forever, when you say it's going to happen, it will happen. And when, you're say, and when you say that I'm in Christ, I'm made new, and in Christ I've been forgiven, and in Christ I've been sealed until the day of redemption, and in Christ I'm loved and empowered with the Holy Spirit, then all of that reminds me to fear you, to live in awe of you, to live in reverence of you, to live in worship of you. For even when those around me may say that, or the patterns of this world would say, well, the scriptures are out of date. It's silly. They're out of touch. We know more in our culture than the word of God. When that's the pattern of the world, or when my own flesh wants to believe such lies, we instead are reminded that, no, Lord, you're good, and your law is good. And then he finishes the stanza with verse 40, how I long for your precepts in your righteousness preserve my life. What we long for will be what we delight in. What we long for will be what we delight in. What do we delight in? What are the things that we delight in greater than the word? If neglect means to lay aside or set aside, then what are the, what are the things, the habits, the, the patterns of our life that need to be neglected in order that we might delight in the Word? What are the things that need to be laid aside, intentionally neglected? And they may not be bad things. They can be good things, but even good things can turn into idols. What is one thing in your life that needs to be laid aside Move down the priority list so that your delight in the Lord's Word might grow and might flourish. What's one thing in your life that needs to be intentionally neglected? Move down the list so that you might delight in God's Word. And this is a battle, is it not? If you're out of a habit or consistent time in the Word, it's going to take time to form this ancient habit, this centuries-old habit for Christ followers. Some say to form a new habit, it takes 21 days or 28 days, or this study says 66 days. Here's what I know, that to form a new habit of delight rather than neglect, to literally reverse what we are delighting and neglecting in, it will take doing it tomorrow. Studies show it's going to take doing it tomorrow. Tuesday will worry about itself. Our focus is on tomorrow and the tomorrow after that. Praying, Lord, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things. And we can't do this alone. We can't walk out of here and say, I'm going to do this in my own strength, by myself. No, we do this together alongside brothers and sisters. So in households, in marriages, in community groups, with friends, with roommates, we say, let's go together. 
If we're out of a habit, let's form a new habit together. If we're in a habit, let's, let's pray, Lord, increase our delight in your word together. We follow Jesus together. This, that's a consistent New Testament theme. Psalm 119.103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know, I could tell you how sweet honey is and how good it tastes. And that would all be secondhand knowledge to you. That's vastly different. Hearing, yeah, honey is sweet and believing my words versus you just tasting honey and say, this is sweet. This is good to taste. So don't take the psalmist's words for it alone. Let the psalmist's words lead you to say for yourself, I can taste and I can see that the Lord is good and that His word is sweet to the taste, that He is, that is sweet for our lives and that its, its sweetness leads to our delight. Let's pray, Lord. I pray for us as a people that we would be a people anchored to Your word, delighting in Your word. We confess as Your people that our own flesh doesn't want to go that way. But Lord, you've given us your spirit, a new heart within us. You, we are new creations in Christ so we can walk and live in a new way. And, and Lord, I pray that as we open our word, that we would be prayerful. As we open your word, that we would say, Lord, open our eyes to the wonderful things that are before us. Thank you for being a communicating, speaking God, for not being a, a powerless or mute God. Increase our prayerfulness. Move us toward delight and away from neglect. We want to follow you. And we trust that your ways lead to delight and goodness and joy and rest. Turn our eyes away from worthless things. Give us wisdom to know what needs to be laid aside so that we might treasure and pant after and thirst and hunger after your word. And help us do this together as the family of God. We trust you. We depend upon you. Lord, you are faithful. You are good. And you are worthy. We pray this in your name. Amen. Starting in verse uh, 65 in Psalm 119. Lord, you have treated your servant well, just as you promised. Teach me good judgment and discernment, for I rely on your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good, and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have smeared me with lies, but I obey your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are hard and insensitive, but, but I delight in your instruction. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. Instruction from your lips is better for me better for me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The Lord is good. He does what is good.